welcome to the Institute for Conservation Leadership podcast, a conversation about leadership, strategy, and collaboration. I am Kurt Thompson, and I'll be your host today. One of the Institute's core values is that we believe we are all better when we work collaboratively. In addition, one of the goals of this podcast is to highlight incredible work that is happening across North America. With that in mind, I am pleased to share a conversation that Cheryl Glazer and I had with Michael Reuter, director of the Nature Conservancy's North American Water Program. We talked with Michael this past winter, shortly after he finished a keynote address at the winter gathering of the Delaware River Watershed Initiative near Philadelphia. He'll be talking with us about a huge collaborative effort within the Mississippi River Basin. During our conversation, we'll talk about the value of collaboration, what he's learned about collaboration, and why collaboration is important for our most complex issues. We started the conversation with him giving us a high-level overview of this large initiative and why it's important for our country. You know, our work in the America's Watershed Initiative is really focused on the Mississippi River Basin as a key geography, which of course touches 31 states, drains about 41% of the continental United States. It is also a platform for us to think about water issues at a national level. You know, how do we as a nation approach the management of our rivers and lakes? What are those issues, things like infrastructure investment, water quality? How do we address those really complex problems that, in the case of the Mississippi, right, might arise in the upper watershed in places like Illinois and Iowa when it comes to um, certain issues related to water quality, but is expressed in Louisiana and uh, off the coast um, whether it's sediment reduction or nutrient increases and a host of other issues. And so we use the America's Watershed to build a dialogue around the river system and um, what are the challenges that we face today, what do we anticipate in the future, how do we as a river basin, as a nation, and as a collection of states and communities, how do we address those issues? You gave a talk just uh, uh, earlier this morning, and in that conversation, you talked about how this was really born out of a very collaborative approach in terms of people just sort of sitting down and, and starting this conversation. Could you just walk us through how this this initiative actually started? Yeah. The, the America's Watershed Initiative, first of all, just stands on the shoulders of a lot of projects and conversations and initiatives that have taken place in the basin over many years. But it was around 2009 that the Nature Conservancy and the Corps of Engineers supported a study, really a set of interviews by the Meridian Institute to interview 50 of the leading stakeholders in the basin who represented all walks of life, all sectors that depend on the river, whether it's navigation or flood control or agriculture, the environment, recreation, and so forth. We interviewed the 50 leading stakeholders and asked them um, what their issues were for the river. And what came from that analysis and study was that people unanimously felt that they could not get what they wanted for the river and from the river anymore without working together, that the issues had become so interconnected that building alignment and connection between organizations was essential. They also felt that the institutions um, managing the river needed to, we needed to take a look at those institutions and think about how we uh, as a nation and as a group of states and communities address um, or share ownership for the river. It sort of is an orphan. You know, the EPA uh, called it an orphan um, in, in that it sits at the edges of so many states and so many different jurisdictions that no one is really in charge of the river itself. So in 2009, 117 organizations came together 
in St. Louis and talked about what they wanted and needed for the river. And it was clear that there was a, a common set of interests, a common set of values around the river. And that group of individuals asked the Nature Conservancy and the Corps of Engineers to form a steering committee, which was named America's Watershed Initiative. And that steering committee, again, was very diverse, flood control, agriculture, industry and commerce, and so forth, and uh, represented the diversity of sectors, but also the diversity of geographies that flow into the basin, so the Ohio and the Missouri and the Arkansas and Red Rivers, the lower Mississippi and upper Mississippi. And, And it began a process of in this portion of the United States to think about these issues together and to start trying to form a common agenda and a common set of uh, goals and metrics to achieve that. In 2012, the group came together to uh, initiate the development of a report card for the basin, which was the vehicle to move a set of common principles, common agenda, and common metrics forward. And Uh, About 400 organizations were engaged in that process, and the report card itself was just released here uh, a few weeks ago. It represents the language of the various geographies in the basin, you know, so um, academic term for um, flood issues might be flood risk management, but if you live in uh, Greenville, Mississippi, you uh, probably call it flood control because your your community's behind a 50-foot levee and, and it's about control. And so we, we tried to capture the language of the people that live in different parts of this basin and connect that into uh, the agenda and, and the set of metrics for the basin. So in a sense, there's really nothing in that report card that one couldn't learn in many different ways uh, looking at different reports or what different organizations have worked on. But when we brought it all together with, you know, 400 organizations feeding ideas and language into this, it became a real game changer uh, for the basin. And uh, I think it's had the release of the report cards had about 3 million Twitter impressions. It's gone to 10 countries, 2,500 media markets. So there's a lot of buzz about this now, and which is exciting. And we have communities like the Quad Cities in Iowa and Illinois coming and saying, we want to host a conference next year about how we raise the grade. You know, and uh, we have different organizations expressing interest in stepping up to to help raise the grade for the river. The overall grade was a D plus, so it's nothing that you want to bring home to your parents. Uh, but it represents a starting point. There's some good and there's some bad in the basin, but um, and it's not meant to point fingers at anybody, but actually just to establish a foundation around how these different issues fit together and how we, um, as a nation, and again, as a group of states and communities and organizations and companies, you know, the private sector, what kind of leadership they can provide, how do we start to work on these issues? Because they're tough today, but they're going to get tougher with things like, uh, you know, shifting climate, increase in agricultural production, uh, increasing water scarcity and water pressure on water supplies. These issues are becoming more and more difficult. And, uh, and so we, we felt we needed to get started now on uh, getting our he- heads around what's, what's happening, but also starting to chart a course for the future together. So this project is incredibly huge. Okay, you've got uh, essentially the Mississippi River dissects our entire country, starts near the Canadian border, and ends in, in Louisiana going into the Gulf of Mexico. And from a collaborative standpoint, how do you actually pull together and decide on who is really going to be at the table? I mean, well, tell us a little bit about that process. It's interesting, you know, um, and and the question of who decides is interesting. So the steering committee is 
is is a group of people without any authority to work on this in any official sense. Uh, but they started a conversation and uh, and they've invited others in and we continue to invite others in. So there's been summits every two years where uh, there's always an emphasis on getting new organizations involved and people come and they're asked to make commitments and to contribute in the way they they uh, would like to and they can. And um, and And what happens is through this, you know, through this very complex uh, uh, set of issues and set of conversations, there just emerges, you know, some energy around some different pathways of working together. And some people stay in the conversation longer than others, and they begin to work together uh, on on a certain set of issues and try and make advances. So we've seen, you know, uh, states like Ohio and, and Illinois, not as a result of the America's Watershed Initiative, but within... We've certainly encouraged to see um, states like them coming together with, uh, again, a very diverse representation between uh, the agricultural community, the urban community, and non-governmental organizations and so forth, starting to talk about how they would address water quality uh, stemming from those states, um, addressing both issues that affect the Mississippi in the case of Ohio, but also the Great Lakes. And so um, we're seeing this spirit of collaboration really take root around the basin. And, and what America's Watershed is trying to do is kind of uh, fan the flames, if you will, when those, when those uh, conversations are happening. And we're really excited that, uh, that, that those conversations are leading to conversations about uh, ballot initiatives and you know, to get the resources that are needed and science initiatives to think about how those resources should be targeted and, and discussions about governance and how do, we, how do we set up institutional arrangements, not new institutions that come in and change everything, but how do we help existing institutions become more effective, have more flexibility, think about, you know, how to work in these new complex environments that we're, that we're in. So it's, it's a very loose, um, uh, kind of organic, if you will, effort that, um, that, that takes on a set of energy, and sometimes it's propelled by external factors, a flood, um, or, uh, you know, there's a lawsuit in Iowa today uh, around water quality issues. These kinds of things put energy in the system and shift the conversation a little bit, and what we're trying to do is, through this effort is to keep people in that conversation long enough to, to find pathways forward together. Michael, in your conversation this morning, you made a statement that I wrote down because I thought it was pretty profound. Diversity is great if you can connect it to shared purpose. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit more to your comment? Yeah, you know, so when there's high diversity and there's high trust, there's an opportunity for a, a lot of creativity and a lot of energy to solve the problem. But, but I think that... Um, you know, one we've all been in groups where there's a lot of diversity, but there's no um, there's no keel underneath the conversation. There's no uh, common direction, and so I think finding a way to establish shared purpose among organizations, you know, the common agenda, and that's a little bit of what the report card represents for America's Watershed I- Initiative is 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 you know, people get hung up on methods. People get hung up on different ways of approaching these problems. But if we can start with the conversation around purpose and what we are for, what we're in for together, you know, what we care about together, we're finding there's a lot of commonalities between, you know, uh, navigation companies, water supply companies, people that care about floods and people that care about um, bald eagles and 
and, and biodiversity. You know, there's differences to be sure, but if we can um, create uh, a conversation that leads to a recognition that we have some shared values and some shared purposes or a shared purpose that we want to work on together, let's work on that next. Let's, let's consider that the next best step together and, and start moving on this. And then, you know, because we're at dinner together and because we're, you know, uh, struggling through these conversations together, we start to like each other <laughs> a little more and we kind of want to stay together and work on the next tougher problem. So, so shared purpose, I think, is really important. And, and it's important to come back to that purpose because, you know, we get hung up a lot of times on different methods to get there. And that's where our different ways of working as an organization, our different biases based on where we grew up or what part of the watershed we live in might come into play. So when we start to get hung up on those things, how do we bring it back to purpose is, is um, I think, is something that's important. So thinking about the American Watershed Initiative, uh, what's been your greatest takeaway? Well, I mean, what's, what are some of the things or one, the one thing that you've learned the most in this process? I guess one of the biggest takeaways I've had from America's Watershed Initiative is that people, if they're respected and if they're heard, if they feel as though they're being truly invited for what they bring into a group. People really, really want to be connected. They want their work, their home, their business to be connected to a larger whole. People care about uh, the larger community, the larger system that they live in. Of course, as they learn more about how these systems function and what the issues are, they 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 might have a greater understanding and a greater sense of wanting to contribute. But but there's an innate interest in being connected through community, I think, in this country, even though we hear so much division. So the the lesson that I'm learning is is to be thoughtful about what we're trying to do, to be to use language that invites people to be part of that effort, to be respectful of their their difference in, 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 in ways of thinking and ways of working and actually utilize that as an asset because the degree that we are different and yet focused around a common purpose with, with building trust, that's the degree to which we have innovation and creativity on our side. And, and so I just have a faith that, uh, and, a, and, and an experience now and a confidence that people do want to be connected to these big problem-solving efforts and, and are just looking for an avenue to do that if they're respected. So you're five, six years into this process already. And mm-hmm. as you think about this work, uh, I'm sure you've had some successes. I'm sure you've had some, some valleys where things have not gone well. Uh, what are some things that, What are the things that really get in the way of a really great collaborative process lessons learned that you want to avoid in the future? Well, I'm, I'm reminded of a story um, thinking of challenges, and it's all how we address those challenges. But on the eve of the report card release, we had a series of calls with the steering committee, and it, and it became clear that um, one of the metrics we were using was, was flawed. There was, there was an adjustment that needed to be made. And it was very tempting at this point, three weeks from release, to kind of just steamroll through this and say, you know, this is version 1.0, it's good enough, and it's, 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 time, to, it's time to publish. And, but we had a steering committee member that, that raised his hand and pushed back and said, I don't think this is right. And it caused the whole steering committee to take a deep breath 
You know, at first, uh, some of us felt, well, gosh darn it, we've been looking at some of this for several months now. Why didn't we pick this up earlier? You know, there's that tendency to go down that path. Like, why, why didn't we do this? Why didn't you do that? But the good news is we actually just decided to hit the pause button for a second, remembered what we were trying to do together, and we asked the question, can we make this adjustment at this moment in time? And the answer to that was actually yes. The person who was the technical writer of the report card was in Australia at a meeting, so we called him in Australia, and we said we have an issue, and we, you know, it looked like the seeming impossibility, but can we, can we reconstruct this portion of the report card within the next few days to be current or to be on time with when we're releasing it and so forth? And uh, the answer was yes, you know. And so we, we rewrote a really important section of this report card just in the final moments. That's not the point. The point is that we actually... Um, we were at a critical junction, a juncture as a group. We were at a point where someone who saw something that the rest of it did, us had not raised his hand and expressed concern. It would have been easy for the majority, if you will, to just roll on by that. But when we stopped, we deepened the trust that we had as a group that, that we actually were, were not interested in just doing good enough. We were interested in... in in a report card that represented our collective best thinking, our shared values, our best work. And when we hit that pause button, slowed down, and redid that section, it got better. And so that was a big lesson learned. And I think that, that um, when we've done that well, we've, we've really accelerated the, the, the progress and we've deep, because we've deepened the trust. And when we have ignored people or you know, been in a hurry... We've 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 lost some ground. So that's that's a big that's a big. I learned a big lesson, you know, right there on the eve of that release of that report card. One of the things that we hear a lot is that collaboration takes time, and sometimes it even gets in the way of the work. I'm just wondering if you could react to that and just tell me if if a if that's something you've experienced, and and b how did you get past that. Yeah, um, I think that's a, a, a common issue and a and a, and a common sense and challenge that I feel, and I think many of us do. I mean, many of us are individually overcommitted these days, right? Organizations want to move faster. We we tend to take on a lot, and we don't have a lot of that sort of white space in our lives that allow us to think and reflect. That might work in a simple system where there's a high level of certainty, and everybody involved can by themselves sort of figure out what the right next step is and, and how to move things forward. What we're talking about now, though, when we're talking about systems like the Delaware River, Chesapeake Bay, Great Lakes, Colorado River, Gulf of Mexico, and Mississippi River, we're talking about massively complex systems where no one actually understands the whole system, sees the whole picture. And so it's actually necessary to, to solve these problems to slow down long enough to have the conversations because the knowledge in the system is is dispersed among everyone who's interacting with it and probing in, in the system, and they're learning things. And so, so if we don't have time and create the space to have the conversation to share that knowledge, you know, we're, we're acting as though there's independently or individually, we're acting as though there's a high level of certainty, and we're, we're, we're likely to run the car off the road, you know, uh, um, in in those settings, and so or with that with that technique, so yes, it takes time. But I'm reminded again and again that when we, if we, and when we slow down to have those conversations, 
we actually can not only work on better things, but we can see an acceleration. And I think we can look at watershed projects around the country where landowners got engaged and started to really own the project and 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 share information. And there was there was an acceleration that followed that. So things then tended to progress. So these are theoretical ideas. These are hypotheses. You know, it plays out differently in different places. But but that's the promise that I think, um, first of all, I think that's the necessity of collaboration. And I think that's the promise that there is behind collaboration, in particularly in complex systems. So in collaboration and leadership in general, we know we hear a lot about trust. And I've heard you speak to that. What do you see in the group of leaders that you're working with that helps us to identify qualities in leadership that help build collaboration more efficiently and in a faster way? It's a great question. So someone said to me the other day, and I, I mentioned it this morning, you know, that the first step of leadership is actually being present with yourself and being present with the person you're speaking with. And this kind of collaboration probably doesn't happen without that. So, so the leaders that are doing this well are truly interested and curious about what other people think and what their experiences have been. They want to understand that and they want to learn from that. So they want to stay in the conversation long enough to, 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 to get that. And so uh, that, I think, is, is, is a primary quality that we're seeing. People that are just curious about others, um, I think, are, are doing this really well. People that are also, uh, I think we need leaders that are, you know, open to adjusting, right? So we're in a complex system with a lot of collaboration. We're going to be making a lot of adjustments on the way. We're thinking of the best next step, but then when we take that step, we're going to learn something and we're going to make an adjustment. So we need leaders that are comfortable with ambiguity, that are comfortable, you know, we're all looking for measurable, tractable results. And so we have to be focused on that. But but to get there, we need leaders that are comfortable, you know, with taking information that challenges our previous assumptions and changing direction quickly and with confidence. And, and, um, and that's harder to do in a public agency. You know, it's harder to do, you know, sometimes when we're receiving grants that have very clear metrics and we're uh, deliverables and we're on pressure to deliver that. So as leaders in this kind of work, we've got to be... Re- uh, working with our constituencies, with our donors and others to create that space together so that so that we can make those adjustments. Leaders that are doing that well, you know, that are building, again, the trust that, uh, that it takes, both within the conversation that they're having, but also with the people that are supporting them, uh, those, are, those, those folks are most successful, I think, in this space. It sounds like you're talking about having the, the trust in others, but also trust in yourself. And understanding, you know, this this idea of being humble and uh, understanding that you don't know all the answers, and and that's okay, because there there might be somebody in the room that that knows more, or collectively, uh, there's this idea of that you'll get to the answer that you need. Absolutely, you know, I told a little story this morning about our work back in the early days of my work uh, on the Mackinac River in Central Illinois, where, you know, the tendency for uh, the Nature Conservancy and some of the scientific institutions that were in, involved with us was to write this plan for the Mackinac River, you know, and we had an idea about what it, that river needed. But we refrained from doing that because, you know, we wouldn't have been able to implement it. You know, the, the, the river's 
the health of that river is driven by collective decisions, not our decisions. And so it's really the landowners along that river that will make the decisions that matter. So we, we used the science that we had to inform the conversation. It took a couple years for them to be convinced that we actually didn't want to write that plan. When they finally became convinced of that, though, they wrote a plan that actually had a set of goals that exceeded our own. And because they utilized that science, they thought about it pragmatically from the way they farm and, and what they wanted in the places that they lived. And they set a set of goals for wetland restoration and riparian restoration and so forth that exceeded our own. So that was my first realization that good information can drive great decisions. And so we don't know. You know, we have our peace. I have my perspective. I have my history and experience. But it's no more valid than countless other people that live in that same place and work on these same sets of issues, especially in in these really complex systems. So by exchanging that, by being confident in what we all have to share ourselves and individually uh, confident, yes, but then confident enough to listen to people with opposing views and different perspectives. And when we listen to those landowners on the Mackinac, we actually got a lot better result. Can real change happen without collaboration? We were talking about this at lunch. I think at small scales in certainty in systems that are simpler, I suspect that change can happen at least over a short term, you know, by someone driving that, but if or some organization sort of pushing. But I believe in with from the experience that I've had, particularly when we work at larger scales, that if we want to have lasting change, you know, because ultimately we're trying we're we're trying to do something that will affect people's lives and their livelihoods, you know, and if we if we actually want those ideas to be to be the best they can be and to be implemented, you know, and, and sustained over time, we better engage the people who will live with live in those settings and live with and adapt and adjust those decisions over time. So I don't personally believe that lasting change at a very large scale can be made without collaboration. And, and I think it has to be deep collaboration that is based on trust and genuine respect for each other that leads to shared purpose. Michael, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time you've given us today. This has been a great conversation and I, uh, I look forward to another one. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Kurt. Our conversation with Michael highlights the value collaboration brings to projects of all types. And as he mentions, real change cannot happen without bringing a diverse set of stakeholders to the table to solve our most pressing and complex problems. Keep your eye out for more great episodes coming from ICL in the field. We'll be producing more great stories from the community and highlighting the great work that is being done to support the conservation sector. We'll see you all soon.